Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's June 29th and you are listening to episode two of Under the Bleachers. We will be taking turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose LGBTQ plus candidates running for office in 2020. For our conversation on all things sports, we have Yella's Marble Racing. And for the intersection between sports and queer, we have a celebration of the life of Angela Madsen. After that, we're gonna share our interview with Joe, the general manager of Team DC Sponsor Bar and Amazing Queer Hangout, A League of Her Own. So here we go. Before we get started, we wanted to give you an update on Team DC. Our virtual Pride Week wraps up today. Thanks to everyone that provided the great content for our event and everyone that tuned in and or supported Team DC by bidding in our online auction. If you're listening as this episode drops on Monday the 29th, you can still bid in our online auction until 8 p.m. Go to teamdc.rallyup.com backslash Pride Week 2020 to bid now. We have dining and drinking gift cards, items for pet lovers, items for sports fans, and other cool stuff. With the conclusion of Pride Week, Team DC's event calendar remains on hold as we continue to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. And we promise to update you as soon as we have more information. As for us, we're still here and we're bringing you episodes to start off your work week every Monday morning. Episodes and information can be found at underthebleachers.podbean.com, and you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, and share us with a friend if you like what you hear. And now, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Okay, so my topic in the world of all things queer this week is the 2020 elections. You can't live in D.C. without talking about politics especially during a presidential election year. But let's focus a little on the down-ballot races. According to the LGBTQ Victory Fund, 850 LGBTQ candidates will appear on ballots across the country. That's up from the 700 candidates who identified as LGBTQ in 2018. We currently have seven out-and-proud members of the U.S. House of Representatives. (laughs) 14 LGBTQ candidates for the House will hopefully be on the ballot in November. With wins in Tuesday's primary in New York, Mondaire Jones and Richie Torres are one step closer to becoming the first LGBTQ African-American and LGBTQ Afro-Latinx members of Congress, respectively. In the election season that gave us Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the first openly gay Democratic primary candidate, remember the GOP had Fred Carger in 2012, do you think we're going to see a rainbow wave in the next general election? Uh, I'll tell you what I think, Gabe. I think that It is a disservice to the community to predict any kind of a wave. I think that if there is a progressive person left in this country who thinks that it's smart this far out from an election to start talking about what we think is going to be a good result for us, 
we <laughs> have not learned our lesson from uh, 2016. Um, that said, I think as you kind of alluded to in your introduction, we already have a record, record number of LGBTQ people serving at every, um, at every level of office. So we've already got this wave going and yeah, I do think it's gonna continue. Um, but you know, I always tell everyone that asks me anything about like what we think is going to happen in November. You shouldn't be thinking about what do you think is going to happen in November? You should be thinking about what can I do today to make the results in November, what I want them to be. And so that's, that's my long convoluted way of saying, yeah, of course it's going to be a rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And it's important. Uh, yeah, you know, to get some of these down ballot races, get involved in them and also help, you know, support people. Usually we get, you know, strung out on, oh, what's going to happen to the presidential election? Oh, no. You know, we get so involved in that and we forget there are major races that affect our community every day that are happening. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, Donald Trump is sitting his ass in the White House right now where he does not belong. And he's filling all the rest of the seats in the White House with people who do not belong there. So, you know, it matters and we do care, obviously, who's going to lead our country. But at the end of the day, honestly, it's, it really is the people who serve in the state house, the people who serve on the school board, the people who, you know, the mayors who make the city budgets, who really impact our day-to-day life more directly. Um, so, yeah, it's vitally important. And uh, I'm really, I'm happy to see so much increased visibility of LGBTQ people um, in politics. You know, I think back to just when I was growing up and I would have never, it never would have occurred to me that that was an option. Um, You know, obviously I knew that gay people existed and that they did all kinds of different things, but a position like that in the public eye was never one that I thought that a gay person was allowed to be in because I, you know, I'd never seen it. So it's, it's hugely important as we move forward. I'd say it's also, you know, we think, oh, we live in DC or we live in the East Coast, it's a little bit more progressive, but there's small places and small towns that are changing a little bit. I know we were talking before, uh, in Del Rio, Texas, they elected their gay mayor, uh, Mayor Lozano. He's 35, a veteran, and he wears high heels to, you know, council meetings. And (laughs) he was elected and people were asking, you know, you know, the small town people like, well, you know, what do you mean you elected a gay mayor? And they're like, yeah, he's our mayor. Big deal. So yeah, what? Well, getting... you know, the, in a small town, the people probably all know him personally, right? They like all know him. And yeah, they're like, okay. small towns work. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the two uh, candidates that you mentioned when you were doing the intro, um, Mondaire Jones and Richie Torres, they're, you know, both of them are running for Congress, right? Like this yes. is, you know, at the federal level, but, and they both are very progressive. They're both also very impressive. Um, and they're both running in districts that are true blue, right? Like, so you can be, say with almost certainty um, that they're going to actually be in Congress come the fall. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really exciting because, you know, I talked a little bit about you know, the visibility and the representation of just seeing different types of people in public office. But the other kind of representation, which is having LGBTQ people there to speak from personal experience about what it's like to be an LGBTQ person in America and the specific needs that you have from a legislative body is very important. And 
So yeah, I'm super excited about all that. Um, I wanted to mention uh, another LGBTQ candidate that's running for office who a little bit of a hometown connection for us is Sarah McBride. Um, Sarah McBride is the um, spokesperson for HRC. So she was here in DC for a long time. She still works for HRC, which is headquartered in DC, but she's home in Delaware because she is running for the state Senate in Delaware. And she's an openly transgender candidate. So uh, we wish her well. And people who aren't necessarily familiar with Sarah McBride from HRC, she was also um, made history in 2016 when she spoke at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. She was the first openly trans person to speak at a major party convention. So people probably remember that a little bit better. But another shout out for a candidate to watch. And hopefully a shout out to our listeners. Uh, please register to vote and <laughs> register your friends. Hopefully you've done that, but- If y'all uh, aren't registered saw... to vote yet, <laughs> <laughs> okay all right no judgment here but you already and, missed, uh, you already missed the dc primary <laughs> so go get your ass registered <laughs> oh one more thing i think we should you mentioned the victory fund so just a good thing to shout out as well for anybody who doesn't know if you're looking for some place to go to support lgbtq candidates um the victory fund has a website victoryfund.org and you can find their information about all the lgbtq candidates that they are supporting um, and endorsing and you can also make donations and get information about how to donate to individual candidates and everything else so go check out victoryfund.org yep and i just like to throw in i'd encourage people especially if you live in dc um, or around the area look on the go on the website see if people from back home are running and you know talk to your friends talk to your family you know, back home in your home states and just say, hey, look, this person's going on there. Do a little research on them and try to get the vote on, get people excited about these other races. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree. DC, if you are like I am a Democratic voter in DC, um, for one thing, nobody in DC has that much power. We don't have a congressperson. We don't have a senator. Um, we also only have one electoral college <laughs> uh vote so it's not well, that impactful i think well whether it's one or two it's not that two. impactful it's not huge. and more importantly the district always goes 99 percent democrat so we're in a safe safe blue district so if you really want to like do some volunteer work or try to make a difference you the best way to do it is to either look back to you know go to a swing state and volunteer there you can do it online this year because there's a lot of um you know, write in voting and everything. And so there's a lot of virtual um, fundraising that you can do or virtual phone banking, virtual text banking from home. So you can, you know, I'm actually signed up to text bank voters in Wisconsin to encourage them to vote for Democrats. And I'm going to do it from my couch in DC. Um, so just another idea for everybody not to get, you know, too preachy about politics. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, but I think since it's 2020, this Congress gets to draw the lines after the census. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, which is scary. It's, it's for the next generation. I mean, this is hugely years. important. Hugely, hugely important. It also is, while we're talking about it, incredibly important that you go online right now and fill out the census if you haven't done that yet. That is critical in determining where uh, federal funds get allocated 
and what voting representation is for your area. You need to be accurately counted where you live if you want proper representation through the government and if you want proper government funds for vital services for you and your neighbors. So go fill out the census, go register to vote. Let's do this thing. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Well, I think we've um, probably shown our DC side enough for today. <laughs> let's not let's not scare off every last person listening to this podcast. Um, what sports, do you got? remember, it's sports. This is a sports podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> speaking of which, Gabe, do you want to move on to your sports topic this week? I am so excited about this topic. I've been talking about it for weeks and everyone just eye rolls, but come on. My sports topic is the latest internet sports phenomenon, Yellow's Marble Runs. Move over, Bundesliga. There's a new sports league uniting the world during quarantine. A few listeners may remember scrolling through Facebook or Twitter and coming across a video of what seemed to be normal-looking marbles traveling down a sandy track. It wasn't until they clicked play and heard Greg Wood's riveting color commentary that listeners were glued to the action. Each valiant racer zipped through sand chicanes and other obstacles as they raced towards the finish line. Who would win? Could it be Comet? Ghost Plasma? Boyo Loco? Crazy Cat's Eye? Let's roll the tape and listen to one of the exciting events on Yellow's Marble Runs. Remember, you're listening to play-by-play of marbles racing. Four events to make it to the big league here in the showdown for the Marble Rally. Hey, everybody. I'm Greg Woods. Let's get right to it. Down they come. Grasshopper out of the chute quickest. White Widow next behind. Already having a quick look at the lead as they begin to traverse this course. Deep Ocean comes next. Big Pearl up into third place. Is she going to have a look at second here? Drafting moves to the left and gets on by. In fact, three marbles get on by. Lollipop falls back to fifth. White Widow still clear out in front, but Big Pearl trying to track her down. Grasshopper in third, sitting in the slipstream. I think Big Pearl's caught that slipstream as well. She also catches that little speed boost. Is it going to do anything? Not so much that time. What about this one? The back three marbles look like they're going to take it, and here they come as they snake through this little chicane. Grasshopper back and forth, Lollipop still holding in fifth, no other marbles in sight. Big Pearl loses another spot and now falls back to fifth. Meanwhile, huge lead, White Widow is going to cross the line and win the race. Rastafarian will take second. Who's going to get third? It will be Grasshopper, but Duct Tape comes out of nowhere and finishes in fourth. Duct Tape was nowhere for that entire race. That's pretty impressive. Like the audio Laura shared last week, the content is a lot better if you see it. So we'll include the link in the show's notes on Podbean. Yellis Backer of the Netherlands began producing marble runs and races in 2006. It wasn't until 2015 that videos on his YouTube channel spawned a new fandom. Currently, there are 28 teams of marbles, each with their own unique name and team name, and 32 individual racers who can compete in events such as balancing, the funnel run, speed racing, and other exciting events. Teams must race and qualify to com- compete in seven different series that include the Marble League, formerly known as the Marble Olympics, the Off-Road Marble Rally, and the new Marvula One, and other sponsored tournaments. Yellow's Marble Runs almost ran their last race until last week tonight with John Oliver became their league sponsor. Today, there are over 1,160,000 subscribers to his page, and his races have been viewed over 81,427,405 times on YouTube. 
The latest Marvel League season began on June 21st and is hosted by Team Galactic. All right, Laura, so what do you think? Are you hooked yet? <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> Come on! So, all right, I got it. I'm going to, I will confess that when I was getting ready to have this chat with you yesterday, I checked out some of these videos and I did ultimately find myself losing like 20 minutes of my life to, to some Marvel videos. Okay. Of course. Yeah. So ultimately the answer is yeah. Like there's something to these videos that draws you in because there's from the description of what you're talking about, there was no way in hell that I thought I would spend 20 minutes watching Marvel's on a track. Um, but I think it's pretty wild. Like, I, okay, question one, you know, with the camera angles, like, it looks like they're doing these aerial shots of these, like, 15-mile-long, like, tracks. Horses and tracks around. What is the actual, like, what did this man build? Where does he keep these sets? I don't, I don't What know. is happening? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if he has a studio. He produces them somewhere in the Netherlands. Like, how big do you think the tracks really are? Like, some of these races they can't be last that big. for... But some of these races oh, last do. for five minutes. Like, they do. what's <laughs> happening? How long is a fucking marble track to make a marble roll for five minutes? That, I, I mean... And my favorite is that everything's Legos, basically. Like, this is the stands are Legos. Even the little gears that pull up the marbles are Legos. It's, it's bizarre. I, so... He lost me really with the opening ceremonies. So the first, <laughs> like, the first video that I clicked on was the opening ceremonies, and I'm like, "What is happening?" Like he's got these marbles sort of like rolling in formation, and I don't know how like this how computer generation works or whatever. But it was actually pretty creepy. But more importantly, I'm watching it for like a minute, and I'm like, "This is not interesting. Interesting me, <laughs> not capturing my 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 interest." And I look down, and I see that the video is over 20 minutes long. <laughs> I, uh, uh, like I bailed immediately when I saw that because I'm like, "You, I cannot believe." Fast but, forward yeah. to the race. Yeah. So then I will say I then clicked on a couple of the different race videos and I did in fact get pretty hooked. <laughs> Do you have a favorite team yet? So not really. I liked the name. Did he call them the Hazers or something? The, the Hazers. Like, yeah. The yeah hazers. I kinda, like I kind of like that as a team name. So I could probably see myself getting into that. It makes me like. What I, I'm looking up right now. What I think is funny is that they have the teams, but each team has individual players that also have names yeah so like the what is it the brown the brown marbles of the chocolatiers and <laughs> their team for this year because it's a big deal it's it's coco Choc, mocha and bonbon that compete mm -hmm. and they kicked out um fudge he got kicked out in 2018 so controversy Coco became the team captain in 2019. There's a, there's a whole fandom. There's a whole thing online. When I was looking at this, uh, I was, are you serious? But it's, 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 uniting the, it's uniting the world during this yeah. pandemic. That I'll, I will give that. you. I mean, <laughs> and I'll say this, like John Oliver apparently not only is sponsoring them, so he like gave them the money to produce the videos, but he's also providing money so that there's going to be prizes and the prizes are going to be donated to charities which that's the actually, cool thing yeah so that's pretty cool he's got that hbo money he can do it yeah but that, i mean that's pretty sweet i i do have some serious questions though about like what this guy did to build these sets and 
I don't know. <laughs> I, you know what? At the end of the day, like this guy's got some hustle and who am I to judge? Cause I don't have a million YouTube followers. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think he just started just filming marbles down a little track he made in his backyard or at the beach. And it wasn't until, cause I was doing a little research. It wasn't until that guy, Greg Woods picked it up and did the commentary. Right. And people were, you know, trying to listen and be like, what is going on? <laughs> I mean, I imagine without the commentary, this would be a very sad thing to watch. Yeah. Um, but let me ask you this. Like, what do you think, like, picture in your mind what the day was where the guy was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start filming my marbles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> like, was he, like, at the beach? No, he was, he's from Amsterdam. Is that right? <laughs> Somewhere. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so I imagine he was high somewhere and was just like, yo, let's videotape some I got marbles. this idea. Let's, let's, remember marbles, those things? <laughs> let's roll them down this track. Oh, speaking of which, how many marbles do you think this man owns? So okay, many that, I, I, I want to know how many, yeah. So many marbles. Because he has, the stands are filled with marbles. That's the really? best part too. And I love that it's very old school stop animation of the marbles cheering. You can see them doing yeah. the wave. Yeah, it the time of, and um, detail that he has, you know, how much yeah, time does he have? It reminds me of like those claymation Christmas movies, <laughs> like, like the Island of Misfits toys, except it's a bunch of marbles rolling. A bunch around. of marbles cheering <laughs> yeah. on. Well, I um, I give you credit for turning me on to the marble magic. I might <laughs> I might tune in for a couple of more events. I don't think I'll you know watch another one of their opening ceremony videos. That is that's beyond what I can handle but <laughs> but you know what as we have said to each other before when there is no sports on you get a little desperate and you could do worse than marbles that is true <laughs> all right well that is you know I'm sure that there are people listening who also are now grateful to know about marbles thanks to you Gabe but uh, what are you bringing us in the uh, intersection of sports and queer this week? This week's topic on the intersection of sports and queer, we celebrate the life of U.S. veteran, three-time Paralympian, and out and proud lesbian, Angela Madsen. Madsen grew up in a military family and enlisted in the Marines in 1979. While playing on the Marine women's basketball team, Madsen was, was involved in an accident during a game that injured her spinal cord. Many botched surgeries left her paralyzed. Angela turned to sports, specifically wheelchair basketball, to rebuild her life. Four years later, she became involved in adaptive rowing and became a multiple world rowing champion. She became the first woman adaptive rower to cross the Atlantic Ocean, which she did twice. The first woman to row across the Indian Ocean, and in 2010 was part of the team that circumnavigated Great Britain. In 2014, she became the first paraplegic to row from California to Hawaii. Madsen held six Guinness World Records and was on her way to complete her seventh as the first paraplegic and oldest woman to row solo across the Pacific Ocean. She also competed in the Beijing and Rio Paralympic Games and won a bronze medal in shot put in the 2012 London Paralympic Games. Angela Madsen was an advocate for LGBTQ rights and served as the Grand Marshal of the Long Beach Pride Parade in 2015. Her wife, Deborah, revealed the news of her death to the many fans that were tracking Madsen's journey from Los Angeles to Honolulu. Angela Madsen's life and sports career is a testament to the human spirit. 
All right, so Laura, so have you heard of this story? Have you heard of any of her accomplishments before? Yeah, so I had not heard of Angela until um, this story I saw hit the news a couple of days ago. Um, and I had really only read the headlines, so I knew that she had died. Um, but I didn't, you know, delve that deep into it until you mentioned that you wanted to talk about it. And so then I did a little reading about her. And I mean, she really was an incredible person. Um, I want to say, though, like... <laughs> And you didn't really get into this that much, but I just want to say, like, kind of fuck the Marine Corps for, like, basically abandoning her when she yeah. got injured. I mean, That was the whole thing. Yeah, it was wild. Like, she got injured playing basketball, but she was playing basketball for a Marine Corps team at a Marine Corps Event. game. Right? Yeah. She and or I actually think she got injured at a practice, but she was practicing with the Marine Corps team that she was a member of getting ready to go to like this Marine Corps competition. And they did not, you know, they had a fight afterwards and they did not pay her medical bills and she ended up homeless. Um, it, and, it, you know, it was really like this tragic story. And obviously she's, you know, extra incredible. I mean, the woman is fierce and brave but and she obviously came back from all that overcame all of that hardship and lived a full and great life but i was really like turned off and disappointed that the marine corps would do something like that okay but putting that aside and like let's not dwell on that kind of fuck up because this is supposed to be about angela and what an amazing person she was <laughs> i have to say like first of all this bitch meddled in two different sports. Like, <laughs> I mean, do you have to be, like, I, I want to say, like, you're just, you're just showing off at some point. Exactly. It. Oh, uh, I'm just going to go row across the Pacific Ocean twice. Yeah, like, no I can. big deal. I mean, you know, I just got this shot put medal, so I probably <laughs> should go, like, row across an ocean. Yeah. It's from the Paralympics. You know that thing in London that they had that year? Yeah, yeah let's you know. I mean, come on. But that, but, but that, like, so obviously amazing. But, like, what kind of crazy person, like, does it – this is what I think. People don't have enough respect for the ocean, man. Like, it's you're tough. telling me that you think it's fun to be alone in a rowboat for four months in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight. And just, oh, it, you know, you have to be super tough mentally, physically. There's so much. It's, cr I, 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 so first of all, as I'm reading this, I'm picturing in my head that she's like in like a little two person kayak and I'm like <laughs> freaking out. So, but then I go to her website. Look at the pictures, see the videos. The, the boat is huge. I, I like, the boat is actually 20 feet long and six feet wide and has like multiple bunks and, you know, storage and everything. So it's not, you know, what I was picturing, but it's still pretty crazy to imagine um, choosing to embark on like a four month journey across the ocean all by yourself. Which you've done before. Oh, not by yourself. Well, no, she did. She did a couple uh, rows by herself. Yeah, but this was going to be the first solo one in the Pacific. Like that was the Just big... the Pacific. Yeah. But yeah, so on her website, it said that her goal was to finish in 100 days, and she thought it would take between three and four months, and she was going to row two hours on, two hours off every day for 100 days. So that's, that's you know, that's a commitment. That's a, that's a huge commitment. 
And it's crazy. I, I'm just going to say it's like, sounds fucking terrifying to me, but it obviously was a passion of hers. So I'm glad that she was living her life, living her best life and living life to the fullest. But even, you know, just for her circumstances, she didn't let anything let her down. You know, you have oh, a spinal yeah. cord injury. She was like, no, I'm, I, you know, of course she had her ups and downs and it took her four years to get into more sports after the, you know, her accident. But Still, that's amazing. And that makes me feel like, okay, you know, I can do things too. I just don't have to sit around and, you know, it's kind of- Yeah, but like, didn't she ever see that movie about the couple that went scuba diving and got left behind? (laughs) Or like, didn't you ever see Life of Pi? That's true. There's (laughs) no no, no tigers. No no reason to go swimming around the ocean alone. I don't know. No, honestly, I, I you can't take anything away. She was a very impressive woman, and uh, obviously, she's going to be greatly missed by her family. And you know, unfortunately, they were filming um, a documentary about this trip, and it probably would have been a great piece of um, filmmaking that, unfortunately, now we're going to be not able to to see. So it's you know, that's a bummer, but. Um, like I said, I'm glad to see somebody that was living their life to the fullest and living their passions and, you know, that's something to aspire to. Yeah, definitely. Well, Gabe, I really appreciate, um, you bringing up these great topics. It's always fun to chat with you as usual. You know, the random stuff that comes across, you know, my Facebook or whatever I'm, you know, news (laughs) I'm reading and I get a little article somewhere. Yeah, that's right. And I hope anybody listening enjoyed these topics as well and uh you know i'll talk to you again soon gabe sounds good okay that's this week's under the bleachers roundup of things queer things sports and things at the intersection of sports and queer we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to share our interview with joe the general manager of team dc sponsor a league of her own All right, welcome back to Under the Bleachers. We are joined today by Joe, who is the manager of A League of Her Own, a bar in Adams Morgan. Uh, Welcome, Joe. Hi. Thanks. How are things for you? Uh, Very busy, but in uh, in a good way. We uh, we have reopened our patios, which is great, and then we are also trying to... um, as involved as we can as a signal boost for the Black Lives Matter movement and protests and education. So we're that's something we're committed to working on at the moment as well. Awesome. Um, so for anybody who's listening who might be sad, sad enough to have not been um, able to visit Aloha yet, tell us a little bit about what kind of vibe Aloha is, who your target audience is, um, and how, just how, you, how would you describe the space? Sure. Uh, so we're kind of a, a neighborhood bar, a bit of a sports bar. We have a lot of televisions and video games. So um, our goal is just to be kind of a casual meeting place. And then we don't really have a target audience we on our mission statement we say that it's the place for people who haven't found their place anywhere else so that's uh that's who we're looking for and that can look many many uh different ways and we're welcoming to all of that um we are attached to our brother bar pitchers so there's a total of uh 
three bars, a restaurant, and a dance floor, all in the space that's accessible from the inside. So it's a little bit of something for everyone. And then on a, you know, a, a typical night or just that neighborhood bar you go to for after work drinks or happy hour or date nights. I mean, we sort of run the gamut. We've definitely seen humans who use our spaces for meetups from um, everything from political things to book clubs. I mean, it really is the people inside it that make its vibe and it's just very casual and the place to meet and connect. Um, and I, as someone who loves the space, can personally attest to the fact that I think it is, in fact, one of the most welcoming spaces I've ever, I've ever had the pleasure of going to. So, um, are there any kind of recurring events on your event calendar that you'd like to plug or tell people about? Well, currently, because we can't use our space, uh, we have sort of suspended a lot of those. We. Um, we're fortunate to have two patios upstairs. So in phase one, we're able to have small amounts of people in. Um, and when we do have our space open again, we have a monthly trivia night. That's the second Tuesday. And we have a monthly um, open mic. That's the first Thursday. So once we're actually able to occupy the space inside Aloha again, we will absolutely be kicking back up um, with all of those, uh, with all of those events. And then, um, every Friday night, uh, we have a DJ who is either female bodied or female presenting, uh, that we, that we book. Um, so I wanted to touch on the topic of queer women and the queer women scene in DC. I know that you, um, had previously worked at some other bars in DC, some that were geared particularly toward women and some that weren't. But what do you think is um, important about having a space that's that's specifically welcoming for queer women? I mean, I think everything is important about having that space. I think uh, to know that you're going into a space that is safely, that is safe, that you can find your people at, no matter sort of what night of the week it is or how many you uh, come in with, that's, uh, that's what you're going to get. And I think uh, we're, I, one of the things I'm most proud of is that people can come in by themselves and not, uh, not need to have a group to feel welcome. We train our staff to be specifically incredibly welcoming, especially to people who are in on their own. Um, I really think the important thing about having our own space is that we get to make it whatever we want it to be. And while I say we, I actually don't include myself a lot in that because, well, I'm an older queer and I'm a cis white woman. And so I have just walking everyday privilege in bars. So that for me, while Aloha absolutely welcomes sort of every presentation, I'm really interested in letting it be a space where uh, your presentation does not affect your experience. So, um, so yeah, I think that we have in the past gotten to take up space in bars for men, and that it was a bit of a problem because it wasn't our space. We had it for a night once a month, and while we were fortunate to have that and grateful to have that, it also uh, takes away from the experience because you want to be – 
I think the thing that's really special about Aloha is you can get a group together to go dancing on a Saturday, or you can take your girlfriend for drinks after work at six o'clock on a Wednesday. And all you always know that that space is open for you. I think that it's a, a real shame that we're losing so many spaces specifically geared toward the queer humans and lesbians of the world because we need a space as well to, to connect to our community. Getting to watch friendships and relationships develop because this space exists is incredibly powerful. Uh, and getting to see people for who for the first time in maybe their life are are comfortable and, and know that we have a mission of safety that we work very hard uh, to keep track of. Um, and, you know, we welcome feedback and we're not perfect. We are human. And so we're always looking to do the most for the most number of people, the most presentations of people. So we're always looking for feedback from the community on how we can do that, how we can do more of that. And that that applies to the black community and that applies to older people who are not as young and are not as apt to want to like go to a dance party. So making sure we like touch as much of the community as possible. That's why a queer space specifically for queer women, non-binary humans, trans humans, the fact that we have a space that's just for us is, uh, is powerful. And knowing that it always exists, knowing that your voice is heard, that wasn't always the case when we were just taking up space in a men's bar temporarily. It's really cool because there's, especially here in D.C., there's a lot of queer spaces and historic places that are closing. Um, so it's very important to have those in our community. Something I spent a little bit of quarantine time doing was touching base with the owners and managers of other queer women's spaces. You know, we're down to... 16, which includes Aloho and Xbox Plus here in D.C., and I reached out to the women who are running those bars across the country just to sort of form a collective, you know, especially in, in, in light of COVID, being willing to hold each other up and support each other. It's incredibly important and useful to feel like we're everywhere because that kind of network can be powerful, can support each other, can lift each other up, and then can pave the way so that more spaces can open. That's very cool. Uh, so we're proud at Team DC to have uh, Aloho as a sponsor. Uh, what other local organizations do you all usually help out throughout the year? Um, a lot of what we sponsor is teams. So the first team we sponsored is the Washington Prodigy, who I'm uh, a huge fan of. Uh, it's a, a women's football, women's tackle football team here in D.C., and they um, are three-time back-to-back national champions, which is super awesome. But, I mean, we, uh, we sponsor dart teams and kickball teams and uh, – Pretty much, oh, roller derby, rugby, ultimate frisbee. I don't know. Our logo is on a lot of jerseys, but it was important to me um, that, you know, and to our owners that we, again, hit as much of the community as possible. Another thing that we've found to be really awesome and useful is um, we don't ever charge a cover. Dave Perusa and I agree on that pretty wholeheartedly. We believe that adding a paywall to a safe space takes away some of its safety and makes it a bit exclusionary, and we want to be inclusionary. So we uh, 
we'll set up a donation table and in lieu of uh taking a door a cover charge we will offer people the opportunity to donate to various not-for-profits um, that are almost always local and so when we have big events like pride or new year's eve we'll just have a table set up if you have the means and want to donate you're more than welcome to and if you don't you are not beholden to um, and so we've done um, women's shelters. We've done Planned Parenthood. We've um, donated to the Tag Magazine Scholarship Fund, which is for queer women of color who are graduating from high school. So it's a it's a unique opportunity to be bringing so many hum so many people from so many walks of life into one space because it gives us it affords us the opportunity to give back in that way. So, Joe, I, I think it's been at least two years in a row now that you were named Blade's Best of Gay DC uh, Bartender. Is that is that right? Yes. In fact, I'm the only woman to do it twice in a row, in fact, which is, uh, is funny. Uh, there's a lovely man named Dusty Martinez who bartends at Trade, and he's this uh, incredibly sweet human, and he has also been... Um, nominated both years that I've won and we ran into each other at a concert and it was the first time we'd met face to face and he'd said that he was uh, my Meryl because he keeps losing to me but yes I, <laughs> I I'm super honored to, uh, to have gotten um for the blades recognition and for the people who came out and voted I also really think that it's absolutely uh tells the story of how desperately DC was in need of a space for women because the numbers who turned out to vote, not just for me, but Aloha also got the best place for women's night out. And what's really cool is we got it in 2018 and we were only open a month before voting started and we still collected that many votes. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it. You know, I think it's a testament to how great a job you guys have done. Sadly, I think it also speaks to um, how few options there are um, for Absolutely. for those spaces. But you know, I, congratulations. I think that's you know well deserved. Um, and you know, it's always an honor for anybody who has a mayoral. I mean, I can't imagine how cool that must be. <laughs> it's also a testament to the fact that I make sure we keep the the cider that you like stocked. <laughs> yeah, you know, big hearty plug for that. I can't wait until I, me being one of the older queers as well. I think I'm a little. Um, extra paranoid about quarantine time, but I'm really looking forward to being back out and having a Magners on the patio at all. And, uh, I guess technically is the patio part of pictures is taking over the first, like the first patio. And then the second patio that's up further is where the picture staff is, is bartending. Uh, Joe, how long have you been bartending and, uh, what brought you to the profession? Huh? Uh, so I, I just passed my 15-year anniversary. I started at Apex in 2005, really aging myself there. Um, and it was honestly, uh, I, I started as a security guard at Apex as a second job because I was like a young single mom and needed the uh, needed the extra income because I lived in Fairfax County and it's expensive. So I, um, yeah, I uh, started at the bar as a door person they uh loved me and uh turned out i have a, a knack for 
talking to strangers and and hopefully for uh, making spaces feel safe as much as I as I can. And yeah, it was uh, 2005, uh, and then it's probably been about three three years that I have been um, exclusively working in the service industry. And can you give us a little advice? What are the top three no nos of going being a bar patron? Oh, I love schooling people on how to be good bar patrons. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, no, I, I try to do it on every 21st birthday so that so that people don't uh, do the wrong thing. But uh, top three, I would say, um, don't flag down a bartender. Eye contact is plenty. Don't wave a card or a money at us. It's incredibly important. It's wildly disrespectful and rude to wave anything. So that would probably be rule one um, to be a good bar patron. Rule two is know uh, know a few bar terms in terms of ordering your drink. So recognize that if you want extra alcohol, you need to order a double, which incidentally we don't serve here. Um, but know know how to order your drink and be ready, especially if you are one of those humans who's flagging down the bartender. Be ready to order when we come to you. And then um, number three, oh, every bar has a well. And that's where we're serving drinks out of. There's usually a bar mat at the well. Don't stand there and post up there because we need that space open so people can get to us and get their drinks. All very important. Good to know. Thank you. And, I, and you know, tip your bartenders is always uh, my favorite piece of advice. Oh, yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, well, Joe, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This was really fun. And... I, I, I'm really excited to hear um, hear a little bit more about Aloha and hopefully get the word out to anybody who's been living under a rock and doesn't know about it. Before we let you go, okay. do you want to plug your website, Facebook page, give your address, any of that fun stuff? Um, I would absolutely like to to plug our all of our social media is at Aloha DC A L O H O D C. Uh, again, we are our social media is mostly muted to allow signal boost for the protests that are happening in our city. So keep an eye out for for that. As much as we we can find out, we will share. Awesome! Thanks again. It's been fun, and I hope to talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.